I welcome you all to another episode of Analytics Week Leadership Podcast. Today we have with us uh, Dr. Uh, Nipa Basu from Dun and Bradstreet. Uh, to give you a quick bio, uh, so doc- Dr. Nipa is the Chief Analytics Officer at uh, Dun and Bradstreet. Nipa is the main source of inspiration and leadership for Dun and Bradstreet extensive team of data modelers and scientists that partners with world's leading Fortune 500 businesses to create innovative analytic solutions to drive business growth and results. Nipa joined Dun & Bradstreet uh, in year 2000 and since then held key leadership roles focusing on driving the success of DNB, uh, DNB's analytics practice. In 2012, Nipa was named leader analytics development. In March uh, 2015, Nipa was named chief analytics officer and appointed to Dun & Bradstreet's ex- executive team. Nipa began her professional career as an economist with New York State Legislative Tax Study Commission. She then joined Sandy National Laboratories, uh, a national defense laboratories where she built micro simulation models of the US economy. Prior to joining Durant Bradstreet, Nipa was database marketing statistician uh, for AT&T with responsibility for building predictive marketing models. Nipa received her PhD in economics uh, from State University of New York at uh, Albany, specializing in econometrics. So, Nipa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Vishal. So, um, I think one thing I was very fascinated about looking at your profile uh, was definitely analytics officer at Durant Bradstreet. So, both are very analytical extensive, right? So, at first, why don't we we sort of uh, discuss your background? Because I, definitely, I read some part of it, but I'm sure I'm missing out on a lot of action that that was uh, that has helped you be where where you are today. So, why don't we spend some time on your journey uh, through this analytics? Sure, uh, you actually did not miss out on on a whole lot. So. I'm one of those people, you know, whatever job I worked in, whatever I did, it has always been in the area of analytics. I think this is the only thing I know how to do, and this is the only thing I'm really interested in doing. So my career development has kind of happened parallel to the way world's view of analytics has changed. I remember now ages ago when I was finishing PhD, Analytics was not this hot, you know, it was quite difficult to get jobs. Many of the jobs were getting outsourced to India. Uh, Imagine how ironical those things are for me because as you can guess, I came here from India. But then it all changed. Lots of jobs are still outsourced to many different parts of the world, but the demand for analytics, analytics work has increased to an extent and and our ability to do interesting work has has changed dramatically so i consider myself to be very lucky with the timing and everything interesting uh, so um very well said by the way we all are lucky uh, to be living in this world with a lot of data and 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 processing that needs to happen so um yeah. now let's talk about uh, Dun and Bradstreet. So I think um, I, I remember I when I sent you a request, I said credit monitoring and said no, Vishal, it's actually credit scoring. So definitely love to love to learn what DNB is, what you guys are doing, anything fun there. Sure. 
So credit scoring is the most traditional part of our business. Uh, we are actually the pioneers for uh, business level credit scoring and we still do that and there was a time when you know our reporters used to go around and interview people and collect data. All of that of course has changed. We use all modern methods of collecting data and then we apply all sorts of modern analytics techniques to come up with the scores. Scores are essentially probabilities. Probabilities of not paying on time, probabilities of going bankrupt and things like that. But that's no longer the only thing Dun & Bradstreet does. Uh, Dun & Bradstreet is now an analytics and data company. We are in the business of providing insight from the massive amount of data that we have collected. And uh, the use cases for these things could vary. You know, it could be a sales and marketing solution. It could be a supply risk solution. More and more, a lot of our solutions are directed towards the analytic personnel, the chief analytic officer personnel uh, within our, our customer base. So uh, this is what my team does. You know, it's a team of mathematicians and any business problem that can be solved mathematically utilizing data, we try to solve that. Interesting. And, and thank you so much for, uh, for, for explaining that. So now let's, let's talk about um, a, a bit uh, more about your uh, role in, in, in DNB. So what really um, a role like Chief Analytics Officer means for a company, um, great scoring company? Sure. Uh, so it's the primary job. The primary job is to build mathematical models. You know, it could be for credit scoring or could be for solving a different business problem. So I have a team of statisticians, econometricians, mathematicians, some physicists, one or two chemists, I think, a few computer programmers. So we essentially come up with the mathematical algorithm. Then we hand over the algorithm to our technology group so that they could put it in our, our platform where the customers come and access the scores and other analytic solutions. But then also, uh, as I told you, that we are doing more and more work with customers' analytics teams. Mm. When that happens, then we play a different role as well. Then it is not only building the solutions, but positioning the solutions and working very closely with customers, uh, customers' analytics teams to uh, sort of formulate the problem and do do and take take it from the beginning to the to the end point. Interesting, interesting. So um, and and if if I if I uh, you can share some um, light on the depth and the breadth of those decisions. So I think you definitely share some interesting point on that. Um, uh, like, uh, so what are, what are some of the, some of the, sort of the wideness of, of those decision making and what are some of the depths uh, that you can share? So for my company, okay, for Dun & Bradstreet, the kind of decisions that I will help make is, first of all, we have a chief data officer, you know, who's my partner in crime. So what sort of data she should go after? What sort of data can be utilized in, in analytics and what can be monetized? Then we work very closely with our customer facing team to decide what sort of analytical solutions we should be building. 
then if you think about our customers, the kind of decisions that they make utilizing our analytics, most traditional one is the credit decision. Should I do business with this company? Is this business going to survive long enough to, to pay for my product or pay me back if I loaned them money? Is this, does this business have growth potential so I should probably send my best salesperson to have an engagement uh, with this business? Is this business a good supplier for me? Mm -hmm. So it's these kind of decisions our customers make, some very short term, some could be much more longer term strategic decisions. Interesting. So we provide insight on businesses, mostly on small businesses, but our customers are very large businesses. So large businesses utilize our analytics and insight to make decisions on small and medium sized businesses. Interesting. I think uh, so. When you were uh, describing that, I think one thing that came to came to my mind was uh, one of the discussion with one of the leading banks, and they're t they're talking about how and it, it and it's actually a security discussion that how the current sort of paradigm of security is changing and how it's it's getting very difficult for for a uh, couple of banks to figure out the risk and sort of and and and, and sort of uh, calculate that. So for a company like DNB, it's, I think you guys fall into the same category as well, that uh, when your responsible is to make sure that uh, the trade worthiness is as accurate um, as possible. So how do you, how do you sort of, um, uh, you guys keep up to this growing sort of paradigm of uh, technology evolution and the security paradigms and sort of, and even like more surplus availability of data and all that. So, like, what are what are some of the best practices or some of the methodologies that that you can share uh, that you guys have to go through to keep yourself uh, ahead in the game? Of course, uh, you know I have been doing this for a very long time, and when I started doing this, the issue was how do we get data? Data was scarce, and the talent was, how can you utilize small amount of data to draw conclusions? Also, then we went through a phase when there was plenty of data, but we didn't have the computing power that's strong enough that could crunch all that data in a short period of time because all the decisions will also have to be, be timely as well. Now, all those things are gone. You know, there are very famous econometricians who made their names, or statisticians who made their names by coming up with methodology of using small sample. None of those things are relevant anymore. You know, there has been uh, there has been a technological revolution. You know, so it's disruptive technologies, and these disruptive technologies are enabling uh, all sorts of disruptive analytics. Uh, so now the challenge is how do you find what data point is most relevant? There's plenty of data, but which ones are most predictive, which ones interact with which ones, and how do you really draw a conclusion that's actionable for a business decision maker? So there is one particular type of analytics that Dun & Bradstreet had started doing we call it anticipatory analytics. So I'm sure you have heard of predictive analytics. Everyone has. So anticipatory analytics is a 
sibling or a close cousin of predictive analytics where the time horizon is much longer and you not only come up with a final prediction but you predict the predictors and then you predict multiple scenarios depending on the different combinations of where each of the predictors might go. Interesting. I think definitely um, um, this actually uh, this uh, embarked one of the one of the discussions that, um, that that I had I think a couple of months back with one of the uh, one of the insurance uh, insurance provider executive there and, and they say that Vishal right now for an insurance the life is very tough because we we sort of work on very st structured models and now even like with global warming and whatever right so the, the variables are changing and our model needs sort of a lot more faster calibration uh, than we used to so now we have to be and, and there has to be sort of so when the moment you say anticipatory I think that's that thing immediately yeah. stuck in my mind that yeah I think that's um, possible uh, one of the things so now so uh, with, with that anticipatory sort of uh, uh, analytics so you uh, so how would how so if if you can sort of describe a bit more about how you do that, I think that will be awesome. Uh, sure. Uh, so, in a traditional predictive analytics, actually it predicts the future, but it deals a lot with past data. The normal processes, uh, you you choose a time period, you know that's your observation point, and you go back in time then you utilize the data to, in most cases, to actually predict the current situation, to predict the present. Because when you do that, you can test it, that it's actually working. And then you make the conclusion that if past can predict the present, then present will predict the future. That's traditional predictive analytics. In case of anticipatory analytics, utilizing all these advancements in technology, and in analytics methodology, you are actually predicting the predictors. And you are not taking a snapshot in time. You are looking at a trend. You could go farther back in time, or you could use many more data points, you know, maybe 10 times more or maybe 100 times more compared to, to traditional analytics. And then you end up predicting the predictors. You also look at interactions between the predictors and then you don't predict one outcome you don't predict one outcome with certainty but you predict multiple outcomes with associated probabilities then in some cases the business user may even have the ability to influence the outcome mm. so it kind of takes away the illusion of certainty and actually identifies the different possibilities. Interesting. And uh, it works very well in, in certain situations. Nice. No, I think thank you so much for, for shedding more light on that. Uh, definitely that's, that's enlightening uh, to me and hopefully to, the, to our audience too. So uh, now let's take a step back on, on, your, on your current role, right? So how much of your role is outfacing versus infacing? Like how much do you deal with the client work? Uh, or I'm, I'm talking about a chief analytics officer role uh, within DNB. Uh, deals with um, uh, like outside versus uh, internal to the company. Right. So 
we may be a bit unusual here. You know, so most of my my role is customer facing, outside customer facing, not internal customers. But it's because Dun and Bradstreet is a data and analytics company, and we sell analytics for a living. Most of my customers who are chief analytics officers in their companies, which could be high tech, could be telecom, could be financial services, I think their role is much more inward facing compared to mine or any other company that sells analytics for a living. Okay. So if, if, if a company like DNB, right, if, if uh, they need to create frameworks to, uh, like how, so what is the percentage of work? I think that's where I'm going to. Like, what's the, what's your percentage of your work actually is in facing like creating DNB's um, uh, center of excellence versus actually helping helping out others? And like, yeah. So uh, what we do is, you know, so there are different kinds of data sources, right? There are data we are collecting that are uh, the the purpose behind collecting the da that data is to create solutions that will be sold externally. Then DNB has other kinds of data sources from which you could make uh, conclusions about DNB's own business. Who are the customers that DNB should target? Uh, who are the customers that Dun and Bradstreet should give credit or not? So these kind of decisions, internal facing, they are actually not my responsibility. Many times, the mathematical algorithms that we create that are external facing, the same algorithms are utilized right. by different departments of Dun and Bradstreet to make decisions, but I'm not directly responsible for those decisions. Interesting, interesting. Primarily so, external customers. Interesting. But that's specific to Dun and Bradstreet. That's right. not how everybody runs their company. Interesting. So I think um, as you were uh, sort of describing uh, your anticipatory analytics, I think one thing that I was thinking about is uh, in the in the I think and you briefly mentioned that. So in in the world of streaming analytics and AI and sort of on these capabilities, what is what is really the future of uh, credit scoring? Like how would and and you partly touch. I think anticipatory does give me a hint of what's going on. But what, what do you think is, is, is the future of uh, credit scoring and from that maybe the analytics-driven decision-making that even you do with, through, through this process as well? So, yeah. so all sorts of you know, new methodologies that are coming up, uh, we are using all of them for coming up with many different kinds of solutions. But to tell you the truth, when it comes to credit scoring, that's probably the most conservative part of our business because credit managers by nature of what they do, uh, they're somewhat conservative. And then there are certain legal issues, regulatory issues you have to keep in mind. So let me compare a sales and marketing solution versus a credit solution. For a sales and marketing solution, we have the liberty to use the most advanced methodologies you know, we could use data mining, any kind of data mining, any kind of artificial intelligence-driven solution. And many times we are able to come up with really great answers that cannot be explained to a layman. You cannot do cause and effect. And these kind of solutions are okay to use in sales and marketing because they are being utilized to, you know, target your customer base. Right. So, if based on 
some unusual or new methodology, we came up with a list of businesses and we said, okay, they are not that great a target. And they didn't get some email campaign or phone campaign. It's one kind of thing. You cannot apply those kind of things to credit scoring because credit scoring in some cases might even have to be defended in a court of law. So in most cases, credit scoring algorithms have to be very intuitive. And let's say one of our customers, a bank, declines a small business loan based on a credit scoring model that my team has built, the bank will have to be able to explain it. It's even possible that they might have to explain it to, to lawyers. Right. So credit scoring models are still kind of built in the traditional framework. If those models are being used for approved decline decisions, in the credit scoring world, also there are other kinds of decision making. Uh, so, so there, more modern technologies are more acceptable. Interesting, interesting. So now I think now let's talk about um, uh, your client exposure. Right? So, so basically, what are some of the some of the challenges that you see? Uh, in the industry or, or that you're seeing through your clients that um, some of the common denominator challenges that these guys have been struggling through? Sure, there, there are a few, you know. Uh, one is this, this whole thing, this big data and big insight drawn from big data, all these things have kind of suddenly exploded, you know. So there is still less of a supply of skilled people who can do really good work. You know, there are very talented data scientists, there are very talented predictive modelers, but it is still quite hard to find talented data scientists and predict, predictive modelers who also have the business sense and who can do kind of both sides of the equation. That's one. Another challenge is, I think analytics has been hyped up also quite a bit. So sometimes many of my, my clients who are analytics leaders of you know, large companies, they are facing the challenge of too high an expectation, uh, you know, that as if analytics will be able to solve all problems. But in order to do that, you have to have the right data, you have to have the right infrastructure, you have to be able to apply it to the right problems. And in some cases, something else happens is there's a lot of effort goes into building an analytic solution, but ultimately business does not really use it. So there could be a business leader who has certain notions of what is supposed to happen. And when the analytics supports that notion, it gets adopted. When it's not, it gets neglected. So all these different challenges are, are out there. Interesting. Measuring ROI is another one. I think that's the key to success. You know, if they can prove and show ROI, uh, my counterparts in different companies, uh, it works. For me, it's a little bit easy because we sell the analytics. Right. No, I think that, you are yeah. internally supporting analytics, it's a different story. Definitely. And, and so, uh, Let's talk about some of the cultural challenges. I think this is one of the one of the common denominator that uh, that I have seen from my limited interaction with a lot of businesses uh, that either 
either it's a so i think mostly it's a blame game so either it's a leader that's a problem or either it's the the processes that that are the problem or either the infrastructure or the the product itself is not compliant to these changing paradigms so on like at the bottom of it it's it's the culture of of these rapidly evolving sort of methodologies and these changes so what are what are some of your interactions uh, with those um, uh, cultural issues and and how do you think businesses who are going through these uh, issues can get by um, and and sort of adopt these sort of uh, these capabilities so uh, i'm not sure i'm addressing your question 100% but i'll try so the cultural change that's needed is not all companies are yet data driven data right. or analytics driven you know there is a desire as i called it a hype so there is lot of interest in analytics but actually utilizing data and analytics to make business decisions that hasn't happened 100% yet then there was something else you know we work with so many of our customers and we actually did, did a survey of how many companies consider themselves to be analytically driven and i don't remember the percentage but, now but it wasn't yeah. that high a percentage then there are very often you know there are silos so one kind of analytics decision is being made in one part of the company and then completely disconnected somebody else mm. could make again analytics driven decision but if they are not working together their decisions might contradict or cancel out each other that's true so i think it that's it will take time you know to to get through all of this right uh, there was a technological revolution and it took some time for the companies to utilize proper it infrastructure analytics also is going through similar things i think the potential is huge but companies are just warming up to it interesting so now let's talk about so in 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 the same paradigm of uh, of of your clientele when would someone contact you like what are some of the some of the use cases when they say hey let's let me talk let me let me call these guys or let me sort of seek help so what are some of those some of those scenarios or, or situations right so it may seem little bit counterintuitive but you know most of my customers have very large analytics team and in many cases teams even larger than mine so uh, big companies with big data and analytics teams they come to us for two different reasons in you know, dun and bradstreet has been uh, in data business for 175 years so most of these companies already consume our data mm. and they understand that we have a lot of expertise in building solutions utilizing that data they also have analytics teams that are very good but they are not as experienced in utilizing dun and bradstreet data so that's the primary reason then these days we are also getting lot of projects where it is not about the data you know it is about our our analytic acumen in last nice. four or five years nice. dun and bradstreet has invested a whole lot in analytics so we are kind of getting known in the marketplace so most of the time for these companies it is to supplement their team and we work with them very collaboratively 
then there is always the other end of the spectrum, smaller companies that don't have their own infrastructure or their mm. own analytics team. They sometimes outsource all their analytics to us, but that's still relatively rare. Uh, we still mostly work with very large customers. Interesting. And so now um, uh, let's talk about some of the some of the good use cases or some of the uh, things that you are really blown away by. Like I, I'm totally impressed by how these businesses are doing certain things. Like what are some of those cases which you say, hey, like almost everyone somehow gets it? So we, we do a lot of work with, uh, with financial services customers. And uh, you know, they're almost always at the, at the cutting edge of, of analytics. Uh, very recently, uh, we have been working with, the, with a particular data source. You know, it's a, uh, all banks contribute to, to this data source, and only the different uh, the banks that are contributing to this data can utilize solutions built off that data. So we have been building analytic solutions. This is called Small Business Financial Exchange. We are not the only company that has access mm. to it, but we are one of the companies. And working with these financial services companies, uh, we have been building, uh, building, this is in the credit scoring area, risk, risk scoring solutions that are far better than anything that was available in the marketplace. Then I talked to you about anticipatory analytics uh, and anticipatory analytics. So we worked with a large telecom company and use of anticipatory analytics completely changed how they target. And there is one, I think I, I can make almost make a special mention of it. Most of our, as you know, Dun & Bradstreet is primarily in the B2B space. So most of our analytics is about a business. Mm. Now we are changing that. You know, for example, in the supply risk area, we have come up with a solution. We call it we call it tier N solution. This is the idea that companies know things about their suppliers pretty well, but do they know enough about their suppliers' suppliers, suppliers' suppliers' suppliers? So if you go up to the nth tier, how much do they know? So we were able to identify how these businesses are interacting with each other. We were able to identify the network. And that was uh, a really different kind of solution. So it's no longer about one business, but it's about the network effect of the, the that business works with other businesses. So how does the risk profile or the growth profile of that company changes depending on the network effects? Interesting. Well, I think definitely. Uh, and thank you so much uh, for sharing uh, sharing that. So now, now let's talk about um, a bit about so a couple of keywords uh, we we thrown uh, through this interview. So chief data scientist um, and chief data officer. You said you have one that you. Uh, co-work with and, and, and yourself, Chief Analytics Officer, like what really does, like from your lens, what does these keywords really mean? Because everyone somehow have a very different as, like uh, definition of what these three roles are. Like what's your take on it? 
right. I think in different companies, they could be defined differently. Now, we are a data and analytics company, right? So in this company, both of these roles are important. And, uh, you know, I'm no organizational structure expert. So we have, we have worked in different structures. Like two years ago, we actually had the same person who was the chief data and analytics officer. When he left, we created the two roles. Mm -hmm. So in our case, the chief data officer is responsible for collecting all the data. You know, so Dun & Bradstreet has the world's largest database on, on businesses. So collecting all that data, then curating it, synthesizing it, and then uh, making sure that the quality is, is the best. You know, we have a lot of competition. So that's the chief data officer's work. Uh, we have dance numbers that are utilized by, by all the companies. So the chief data officer is the one who, her team maintains our dance numbering system. Then my team works with that data. So the chief analytics officer's job is to draw insight from that data and build analytic solutions, the solutions that Dun & Bradstreet sells to other companies. Interesting. So that's the relationship uh, between the two of us. Okay, interesting. So now, now let's talk about a bunch of trends So uh, that, that you are seeing. Uh, and and, and it, it could be your personal take or it could be um, company stake, whatever you want to share. So what are some of the interesting trends that you are seeing in the industry um, that are uh, using power of analytics that you are really optimistic about? So you say, like, um, that you say, okay, this is something good and I'm, I'm, I'm happy that businesses are using it. So like, what are some of those things that really uh, you're excited about that businesses are either talking about it or at least thinking about using it, if at all? Uh, analytics enables businesses or people to make better decisions, and better decisions always lead to better outcomes. Mm. You know, this is a very theoretical way of, of saying it, but the promise of analytics is huge. And like everyone else, and as an analytic expert, I'm very, very optimistic about it. There's another trend, you know, our company and some of the other companies are, are, are doing it, is utilizing this power of data and analytics. Could we do something that's good for the society? Of mm. course, we are a profit-motivated corporation, but there are things outside of that. You know. So there are many of these things uh, within that street we are working on. But there is one that we actually already went to market with. It's called uh, it's called the uh, HTRI, Human Trafficking. I was forgetting the what the acronym stands for. Human Human Trafficking Risk Index. Nice. Wow. So it actually enables companies to identify which companies are dealing with human trafficking. You know, knowingly, a company will not do business with another. Uh, knowingly, you know, companies with good reputation will not engage in human trafficking. But again, we were talking about suppliers and suppliers, 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 or customers. customers. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. So there could be things like that. So we have created an index 
of human trafficking, and we are hoping uh, companies will utilize it. And you know, if we are very ambitious about it, uh, it is possible that we will make a significant impact in in reducing this human trafficking. Interesting, interesting. No, I think you you raise a very uh, 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 a very good point here. So. For a, for a company like DNB, right? So you guys uh, monitor a lot of data. You have world's largest databases and you have been sort of always on the lookout of any interesting information that you can sort of scan and, and scoop. So on, on, on that aspect, like um, social data hacking and, or social data monitoring, I think that's that's uh, a, one of the one of the very cool areas that, um, and, and, and definitely it's cool, good to see you're doing something in it. Now let's talk about the future in that, right? So would you see... Uh, social data monitoring playing more and more uh, importance in in your credit worthiness uh, for businesses or like what what do you see uh, what are some of the use cases that are social at the same point they actually um, def- help decide your your credit worthiness because you are a you're a, like so what are some of the thoughts there right so we are doing a, doing a lot of work in in that area you know there is social media has become such a rich source of data so we have been doing uh, utilizing unstructured data analysis techniques uh, to work with social media data and where we have applied it the most and where our customers show a lot of interest is when we are dealing with uh, small businesses you know if the business is sufficiently large then very often there are traditional sources of data based on which you could make a very good decision. For small businesses, the social media data has become very important. And there there is one other closely related but interesting data that's available to only companies like Dun & Bradstreet. Like I'll give you an example. Because we have all this business information, businesses come to ask come to us asking about other businesses. This is a great signal. This is, in many cases, more powerful than social media. Here's a business, and recently many other businesses are inquiring about it. And it's this kind of things. Is the number of inquiries going up, going down? Is it steady? If there is a sudden increase, it might mean something very important that you need to probe into. Right. So... All of these kind of data, besides the traditional business demographics, we are utilizing in building our solution. Interesting. No, I think one thing that that I'm I'm always very fascinated by is uh, like company like company like DNB. So when you monitor a lot of data and you have to fi- and company rely on DNB's reports to figure out figure out the risk uh, or credit worthiness of any particular company. And on the other side, um, there are a lot of data uh, that is being made available. And, and even like risk with every vertical is totally different. A risk to uh, one industry might not be the risk to the other one. Won't that give you like, isn't this giving you migraines on sort of how to create a holistic model that sort of adapt itself with this? So if tomorrow there's a new industry called uh, social media buying or whatever, it comes with its own set of uh, indicators or success or, or failures and now cope up with that and and when sort of when you have like these areas exploding in like every direction uh, so yeah what are some of the thoughts on that 
Yeah, it's it's not a headache. That's the fun <laughs> part of it, right? To a statistician, it is. Yes, yes. We have what we call standard scores, you know. So uh, that's industry agnostic. That's our most basic bread and butter. Then we create many industry-specific scores. We do a lot of customization of these scores to fit the different industries. In many cases, our customized analytics team might subscribe to the very basic standard score from us, then do their do their own customization. So this is what you know keeps it interesting for us. Nice, nice. So I think um, now let's let's uh, shift gear a bit more on. Um, I think it's still on the trends and the buzzy buzziness of this industry. So like, what are some of the very overused term that you say, hey, like they sh- that term should not, it's 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 way too misrepresenting and or like what are some of those very overused terms that you think that um, should go away? Uh, not sure if it should go away, but uh, I think the term business analytics mm. is overused and you sometimes don't know what do people mean by it. Do they mean truly advanced analytics to which is predictive or or is it you know adding to rows in an excel spreadsheet so uh, i think that term is a little bit uh, overused and used to mean many different things there may be a need for a stricter definition of what qualifies as analytics interesting interesting so um now let's talk about um, s- small businesses, and I- I'm not sure how much exposure you have uh, with small. I think one of the things that that definitely I look up to, or or uh, sort of big from big businesses, is setting up standards so small businesses can follow. Like some of the best practices, some of the things that because big businesses have appetite for risks, they have appetite to at least create a best practice somehow, and then small can sort of leverage that. So what are some of the some of the um, good hacks? That, that you would suggest for a small business, if at all, that they want to be a data-driven company, like what are some of the things that they could do to at least start on that journey, uh, if at all, like what are some of your thoughts on that? Right. Actually, small businesses do have a lot of advantages also. Yes. You know, they don't have to deal with old legacy systems and things like that. Yeah. And many of the different kinds of advanced analytics are actually being done by startups, mm. and initially they are they are they are small. That's true. You know, so small or big or medium sized, if anyone is kind of starting on on that journey, you know, uh, I I will suggest you know be very realistic and choose the problems that can really be solved with the utilization of of data or analytics, you know. Collect the right amount of data. You don't have to go for huge infrastructures to start with. Form a team. Uh, a, a small analytics team will do to draw the insight from the data. Otherwise, collecting a lot of data doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You have to have the people to draw insight from the data. And it may sound a little bit self-serving, mm-hmm. but I will always suggest that work with outside companies. Hmm. If that company's job is to do data and analytics, you should work with them. If you are trying to 
trying to break into a different area. Uh, you are always better off working with specialists. But I also say you have to have at least a small team of your own. Complete outsourcing never works. Right, right. Interesting. And and on, and on that point, like, what are some of the indicators uh, that sort of tells me I should make a phone call, I should talk to someone? Like, what are some of those indicators that as a business that sort of uh, give me a hint that I should maybe need a help or I should seek help? Uh, in terms of analytics? Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, it's it's really, you know, the decision-making process, you know, the, the business, if, if we are talking about the startup, the founder or the business owner, uh, when they see that the the decisions they're making are not being based on, if they're making all their decisions on simply on intuition, it may not it may not work. So when they feel that there is scope of scope of fact based decisioning, that is the time for doing at least some kind of data analytics. Most of them would probably start with benchmarking. You know, how am I doing compared to my peers? It's a fairly simple analytics for companies like Dun & Bradstreet because the startup knows everything about themselves, but we know a lot about companies similar to them. We know a lot about their competition. Interesting. So that could be one starting point. They could also ask for advice from an analytics company about where are they on the continuum of maturity. You know, sometimes companies think I'm using very advanced analytics, but they may not actually be doing so. So working with a third party to to get grounded, to mm. get real, and then make the decision of where I want to go will probably be the right approach. No, I think that's you made a you made a great point. And, and this is like uh, from my personal consulting experience, most of the businesses I talk to, uh, they like they what to them what cutting edge is and what really cutting edge is, there's there's a huge gap. And and the bigger you are, and 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 some of some of it is just like justified, like as you you were pointing out that the huge infrastructure that or legacy that you have to maintain and sort of the the cultural DNA that you are sort of bound with. But but you're absolutely right that having sort of an outside perspective to keep a check on whether you're doing the current, I think that's that's very very crucial. Um, and and thank you for touching that point. Uh, it's very relevant. So um, I think we are on almost on the tail end of of this session. Uh, so let's. I think let's talk about. Um, I want to briefly touch about the leadership aspect um, of from from your side. Uh, so, if suppose uh, for the data driven leaders, right? So, if anyone who's aspiring to be a CEO or who's sort of thinking about becoming a CEO, what are some of the like top three qualities that you think that uh, they should start nurturing that will help them through this journey uh, become uh, be becoming sort of more data driven. And, and, and hence sort of um, uh, suiting to the CEO role. What, what are some of the two or three things that you think aspiring leaders should uh, practice on? Sure. So, uh, you know, this is an evolving field. The knowledge in this area is growing very, very rapidly. So the first thing you will have to recognize is you are not going to know it all. And uh, the folks who are coming out of uh, grad schools and, and 
doing all the research, doing all the hands-on work, they actually know more than you. So my strategy really is to hire the smartest people I can mm. and then stay out of their way. I think the role I play these days more is more a business-focused role, helping these you know, young, genius, really smart scientists to come up with solutions that the business will, will actually utilize. And in most cases, that's the training my team members need, how to, how to adapt their skills so it suits the business. Interesting. I think very well said. Um, I totally agree with you um, that um, delegation is one of the one of the core essential fact when the, the industry is rapidly growing. And I remember talking to one of the infrastructure company, and and the leader was saying, "Hey, you know, my models are the best." And then sort of suddenly, I I I, I opened a Google in front of them and saying, "Hey, let's let's see." And then I realized, oh, and then he said, "Yeah, I should have I should have researched more or whatever." So that's very well said that uh, you, you'll be needing smart people to do that. And uh, thank you so much for sharing that. Now, as uh, I think um, as, as, as a parting thought, I, there's one of the philosophical point uh, that, that we hear a lot about. Uh, now, the more you right now, many businesses are treating analytics as their core differentiator, right? So these capabilities define um, uh, your, your differentiation. Now, analytics is primarily based on, based on science. And, and and many many times businesses differentiators are the the art of how they do things right so the more uh, more analytical driven you you becomes and, and sort of more you kill art and and, and sort of appreciate science like what is your what is your take um, uh, on, on on this uh, this philosophical theory of uh, how businesses can keep both and still sort of stay afloat yeah I actually don't think you move away from art you know uh, I'm actually quoting my, my data science leader. Uh, she always says that in order to be a good data scientist, you need to be three things. Uh, you need to be a good analyst, you need to be a good data ninja, and the third thing is you need to be an artist. So it is really a combination of art and science. Interesting. Interesting. So with that, um, uh, thank you so much, Nipa. I think it has been fabulous um, to, to learn about your journey. It has been really, really awesome to to uh, see how DNB do its stuff. And thank you so much for being very candid and sharing a bunch of interesting sort of areas and uh, love to have you on board sometime later to discuss your journey and, and take a deeper dive. And uh, thank you so much uh, for, for sharing your time with our community. Thank you, Vishal. I feel very lucky to be able to lead analytics in a data and analytics company like Dun & Bradstreet. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk to your audience. Thank you so much. Uh, I thought I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick. Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick. I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here. Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it. And I go into the booth feeling nervous. Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless. Is the mic on? I don't know how to work this. Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on a certain